How you doing, everybody? It is me, Big Steve Seacastlin Oval here, kicking it with you on another Sunday afternoon, talking about one of the best sports on God's green earth, professional wrestling here at the Heel and Face podcast on Heel Turn Wrestling. You can check out my new Twitter handle for the show, Heel and Face Pod, Heel and Face Pod to get at me. I started already on a rant, which I'm going to kind of finish on today's podcast. So if you want to check out stuff there, I'm moving a lot of my personal stuff over from uh, my regular handle to here as far as wrestling goes. I'm clearing out a lot of my wrestling related stuff, much to the appreciation of some of my non-wrestling fan friends. Follow me on Twitter and I'm going to move it right over to the heel and face pod. So that's where I follow everybody. That's where I follow not just all the great wrestlers who tweet things out because Twitter is amazing and so is social media. And we're going to get into that later on in the podcast. But not just me out here in these streets. You can go to Facebook as well and you can like share. You're already here on Facebook right now. But, you know, you might have just met somebody. Maybe somebody new at work. Maybe a new neighbor who just moved in and they were wearing an NWO t-shirt. And you might not even like wrestling even though you're here to listen to me talk about it. And you're probably looking at that t-shirt going, you know what? I'm not a huge fan of it right now, but I know my buddy Steve has a podcast. Maybe this guy would be interested in listening too. Go over to your neighbor or gal or whatever, you know, and uh, make nice and say, hey, my buddy has a podcast live on Facebook every Sunday at 2 o'clock. Why don't you uh, check him out at Heal and Face Podcast on the Book of Face. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter, but don't just follow me. You know, we got a whole network going on here of dope contributors, whether it's the Sleeper Hold, whether it's the Franchise Takes Five with Billy Alexander or his new show Behind the Mic or the show After Me, Headlocks and Hangovers. Those guys are hilarious. You can go and check all them out at our home social media pages. Follow Heel Turn Wrestling on social media at HT Wrestling 316. That's HT Wrestling 316. Anywhere you go, you're going to get quality in-depth analysis and news in the world of professional wrestling. Well, let's start off with the news then, shall we? We shall. Guys, uh, I don't know. Like I said, you know, social media isn't for everybody, especially not for 60-year-old, half-broken-down, multiple concussion-suffering, former WWE superstars, and it seems like old Marty Jannetty has joined the list of people who should not be on social media. Former WWE superstar Marty Jannetty alludes to killing a would-be sexual predator when Jannetty was a teenager. So it seems as though, one, the first thing you shouldn't do on social media is have an open beef with a paramour, someone that you are currently romantically involved with. And yet, that is what Marty Jannetty has done. He has had a beef, or not a beef, but he's having some kind of issues with a woman that he's currently seeing, and he made some thinly veiled threat about her knowing what I did to a guy when I was 13 years old. So let's let's save that little part of thinly veiled threat to a significant other, and let's go briefly into um, yeah, murdering a guy with a brick behind a bowling alley. Apparently when Marty Jannetty was young in Columbus, Georgia, he was trying to buy the cannabis, the Mary Jane, the marijuana, the wacky tobacco, the jazz cigarettes from a guy he worked with at a bowling alley. Well, this guy wasn't just satisfied with selling a 13-year-old boy weed. This guy apparently also tried to force himself onto Marty Janetti. Now, it's bad enough that a grown man tried to force himself onto a 13-year-old who he was in the midst of selling weed to. But the fact that Marty Janetti announced to God and every 
everybody that he may or may not have killed a man when he was 13 with a brick and then thrown his body into the Chattahoochee River without this man's family, friends, co-workers, boss, anybody involved with this man's life even wondering, hey, what happened to so-and-so? So there's that to the story. And then the third thing on top of that was he didn't tell his older brother Gino because he was afraid his older brother Gino was going to have a Vietnam flashback and really murder this guy and throw him into the Chattahoochee River. So, I mean, there is way too much to unpack to this story. And the moral of it in my eyes is social media isn't for everybody, kids, especially if you are senile and you are a veteran professional wrestler over the age of six. Because now the Columbus, Georgia police are wasting time investigating this case. And you would think that Marty Jannetty would have enough sense to just shut everything down. Oh, no. Oh, no. He gets on another podcast and basically said, yeah, I did it. So he reaffirmed the story and then basically opened himself up to another criminal case, which at this point in his career and his life, he doesn't need any more criminal case. By the way, his other major social media post before this was a picture that he didn't do, but a picture of a Pat Patterson action figure with his pants down and a Shawn Michaels action figure on his knees. And I do want to keep this podcast relatively family friendly, at least at the PG level. So you can draw your own conclusions what that looked like. So Marty Jannetty is definitely out of pocket in his social media casting, social media posts. And this one might actually bite him in the behind, no pun intended to the story. So uh, he has now cut off all of his social media. He's deleted his uh, account and it's really hard to get a hold of him, interestingly enough. So again, I'm not sure social media is for every. Everybody. I mean, everybody has access to it. That doesn't mean that everybody should. Have it. And Marty Janetti is one of those people. So I don't know what's going to happen to uh, the former rocker. I know that he is in hot water because of this. And knows uh, it could be the ramblings of a crazy old man, or it could actually be some type of truth. You probably shouldn't be threatening current boyfriends or girlfriends on social media either. I don't know. Maybe that's me. I only had one girlfriend and she ended up being my wife. So it's not like I was in the age of social media to post crazy stuff. So who knows? Who knows? Uh, well, speaking of social media and Twitter, as I alluded to in the uh, open, another pro wrestler is in hot water for some of his comments or a legend, I should say. Wrestling veteran Lance Storm is the latest to be on the canceled list after his comments about intergender wrestling and young female wrestlers starting out being victimized and taken advantage. And I started to kind of elucidate on this on the Twitter account to kind of tease what I would be talking about in this. But before we get to this, I want to actually show you the tweet in case he gets misconstrued. And this is my favorite thing about this new form of journalism. The fact is I, as an English teacher, am very much dependent on primary source material. You have to get it from the source, straight from the source. And Twitter is a primary source for primary source material. It is literally the words, thoughts, and ideas coming out of the person writing it. So here's what Lance Storm actually wrote and got in trouble with saying. For every intergender match that happens in a top company with
with professional conduct, there are dozens of women who agree to be booked in a women's on a multi-show loop that gets there and finds out that the other woman didn't show up, maybe it was never booked, and now she has to agree to do intergender matches and be the only woman on the tour or lose all the booking and risk from canceling. There is then pressure to share a room because everyone else is doubling up. This happens, okay? So I'm not going to clown Lance Storm for getting it right. And he's taking a lot of heat because, of course, in today's cancel culture, everyone wants to get rid of everyone. Everyone who has a differing point of view, everyone that has something that uh, they're trying to be woke about is trying to get rid of someone they perceive who is not as woke. But it's not going to work this time. First of all, let's scaffold with some context, shall we? Lance Storm is and has been for a very long time one of the biggest proponents of female wrestling in the entire world. Lance Storm has been very supportive of female wrestlers. He's been very vocal in the past about when the Speaking Out movement started. He's also very protective of female wrestlers, deservedly so, because he also takes it upon himself to train female wrestlers. Probably one third of the female wrestlers that are getting booked by major companies right now are because of Lance Storm. So I think Lance Storm gets a credibility pass when he talks about intergender wrestling and the problems of creepy, unprofessional, unskilled, independent promoters and wrestlers who are basically just trying to cop a feel because they themselves don't have a girlfriend or they're predators themselves. Honestly, let's let's keep it real. I told you guys I would keep it real on the Twitter follow. So if you, again, there's more reason why to follow me on Twitter as well. So let's break it down even further. And I'm going to be slightly more indelicate, but again, I'm going to try to keep it as PG as possible. I don't have a problem with intergender matches either in the context of professional wrestling. In the context of professional wrestling, when done correctly and when there's enough storyline, angle, involvement, excitement for the angles, etc., etc., intergender matches can be pretty great. Brian Cage and Tessa Blanchard proved that earlier this year in Impact. And honestly, there were some spots, even Shane Helms, Hurricane Helms, tweeted out a montage of him working with Beth Phoenix and other female wrestlers from the WWE or from Lita and Mickey James. So he even Shane Helms has done intergender wrestling or at least some spots where it's worked. I mean, just even recently, Selena Vega gave her own husband a head scissors takeover or whatever on Raw probably two or three months ago. So let's not say that all intergender wrestling is bad. It's not. It can be good when it's contextualized. What is Lance Storm talking about. Lance Storm is talking about these creepy, underhanded, shady wrestling promoters or bookers that are the cause of the speaking out movement who have said to like an 18, 19 year old graduate of a class, oh, you know, I had so-and-so booked. I had Roxy booked tonight and you were going to fight Roxy and we were going to kind of make you as an underdog and let her win. But man, Roxy's doing an AEW dark match the same weekend and she not pass it up. So we got you booked with Billy Beanpole and Billy Beanpole's been cutting promos about how he can beat anybody, man or woman, blah, 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 blah. Meanwhile, Billy Beanpole got into wrestling four years ago thinking he could get girls and hasn't gotten any so far. So he begged the promoter to do an intergender match, blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm talking about. That's where this is going. That's what Landstorm is talking about. So Billy Beanpole gets in with this young female graduate of a trusted 
kid wrestling school and all of a sudden the holds are a little too snug the body slams have a little more I don't know grab the bear hugs into suplexes are a little tighter a little squishier and really basically Billy Beanpole is copping a feel from a young professional wrestler the entire match and then of course the female wrestler is uncomfortable and Billy Beanpole tries to play it off oh great match out there we really tore the house down I think you did such a good job during the match and so this girl feels intimidated wrestling him again or even looking him in the eye of course she can't go to the promoter to say that hey during the match he took some liberties and touched me inappropriately because Billy Beanpole is probably I don't know a cousin of the promoter or probably friend from high school or whatever and Billy Beanpole probably copped a feel he probably put his hands unprofessionally on to the female wrestler but the female wrestler again cannot say anything to the promoter because she's going to risk getting blackballed it is exactly what Lance Storm's talking about he's not saying we shouldn't do intergender matches he's not saying even WWE should do intergender matches he's saying that intergender matches done well and professionally and contextually are good but the predominance of them end up especially on the indies with a booker a promoter or a wrestler holding a power over the young female wrestler and that's where it's gotta end so don't think that Lance Storm is all of a sudden saying men and women can't wrestle each other of course that's what people who can't read and aren't sophisticated get on him for Lance Storm has been a very avid proponent of female female wrestling and females getting into the world of professional wrestling so don't try to cancel him already just listen to what he's saying so it happens people there are creepy people out there who try to take advantage of women there are people out there who are not professional and as I pointed out on my Twitter handle spare me the bearskin rug talk with Shawn Mike the WWE and Vince McMahon for all of his faults all of its fault has insisted on a pretty professional outfit and notice that the major wrestling promotions in America right now have an HR department now you can say that they ultimately go back to Vince and people might be scared to death to tell Vince their obvious earned but still most of the major professional wrestling outfits have HR departments where these things will be tolerated and to be honest most of the people in the locker rooms don't tolerate that kind of stuff the culture and climate of the locker room in WWE and AEW are that of sexual assault and lording yourself over people for sexual advances or groping or that old good old boy network isn't tolerated anymore so even the locker rooms have come around as far as this goes the more shady unprofessional independent promoters taking liberties with young female wrestlers the more you're going to see this problem so unless the entire locker room changes unless the entire culture changes completely and it's happening it's happening you can see it you can see it it's just not everywhere yet but don't misconstrue Lance Storm for being anti-woman or against intergender wrestling sorry for that little rant because we gotta get moving we gotta get moving to AEW let's handle that first sat down to watch AEW and a PWG pay-per-view showed up but thankfully it didn't last very long because the show got better as the nights have been going on and yes I am very critical of AEW lately I've been very critical of AEW lately and I admit openly that it's not been great but you know what I'm still willing to give it a look and I heard some interesting things so I usually watch one live and one tape delay if I can tape delay tape delay I'm never gonna stop saying tape delay but let's kind of go through what happened on Dynamite last week and I think this is them kind of moving towards all in so the first part was the a million man tag team match in the beginning 
beginning with the Elite, Adam Page, and the Young Bucks, blah, blah, Kenny Omega, and FTR versus the Dark Order with Brody Lee, Cult Cabana, Evil One, Evil Two, Evil Five, Evil Nine, Evil 69, Evil Imaginary Number, Evil Pi, Evil Infinity, etc., etc., etc. So that's what was going on. So when I say that this match started off as a PWG pay-per-view, that's what it was to me. It was kind of a mess. All it was was spots everywhere. You do this, I do this. Like, make sure that the Young Bucks look strong and hit all their spots. The good thing was, at least they kept the continuity of the possible breakup of Omega and Page, and one of them joining FTR. Now, my money is on Page breaking away, swerving Omega for the belts, and joining FTR. I've been saying that for a long time now, and I'm not waving from that, even though I've heard credible people whose opinions in wrestling, I believe, say it's actually going to be Omega turning on the Elite and joining FTR. I don't see that happening at all. This is going to be an old-school NWA turn, like when uh, Arn turned a long time time ago. Speaking of Tag Team Appreciation, next week is Tag Team Appreciation Day, which is going to be another storyline moving forward of FTR and Omega and Page eventually fighting for the belt. I don't really see Omega turning on the For the simple fact that the styles of Omega and FTR clash so terribly that unless they're going to go with an awkward angle of FTR is going to actually teach Omega how to wrestle, not play fight as he's been accused of by retired Southern promoters and and wrestling personalities that who knows they might go with that angle I don't expect them to just because it would be more confusing but then again because it's AEW and they're trying to be smarter than everybody else you know how you're so smart that you're dumb they might actually try to go through with that and give Omega to FTR why not I'll tell you why not because as much as AEW tries to outsmart themselves by half they in turn also want to try to go back to that old school wrestling and there would be no greater allusion to that than if Adam Page, the only quote-unquote old-school wrestler in the elite, would join the only other two guys who like tag team wrestling and to drink and fight as much as he does. So I'm still predicting, I know it's almost even odds, I'm sure it's probably three to two in Vegas if they put anything like that together, but my prediction is still going to be three to two odds that Hangman Adam Page turns on Kenny Omega, costs his partner and himself the tag belts just to join FTR so FTR can get I'm going with that. That would also be a really interesting interesting way to reintroduce the, or introduce, I should say, the triple man match, like the three-man tag team belt. I think that would be a great way to bring those along. I know they've been wanting to do that, and they should do it, too. They should have a three-man tag belt, and I think the Elite should win that one. I would be mad at that. Be that as it may, they still forwarded storyline between them. Dash Wilder suffered an injury. I'm sorry, Dash Hardwood. Don't try to get the names right. Suffered a knee injury at some point during the match, was taken to the back by Cap. Ash Wheeler and Adam Page, which left our heroes, the Young Bucks, again, the entire Dark Order. Order. That wasn't in effect. That was me doing that voice. Shout out to me. Anyway, so you've got the four, the two on five, Colt Cabana getting his shots in, and the Young Bucks heroically staved off everyone else. Kenny Omega took a lot of the offense from the Dark Order. And then, like the conquering heroes, Adam Page and Cash Wheeler come out the back. What was really interesting interesting was when they got the heat back and they got the momentum back Paige almost hit Kenny Omega with the buckshot lariat and Brody Lee came back immediately with the big leaping discus clothesline and scored the pin on handman, the hangman so um, again furthering the storyline
storylines. Good. Uh, I could do without a 12-man tag match start the evening. If Vince McMahon and the WWE ever did any of that ridiculousness, that was always at the end of a match or the end of a night, probably the end of a Raw, right before a pay-per-view, like a blow-off or a go-home match with Steve Austin, Dude Love, and the Brothers of Destruction taking on DX or some crazy thing like that. That's probably what would happen. And it would just end up everybody would pair off of each other. It was not this. So props to hiding and interweaving the story of the Elite versus FTR, but still, I could have done without a lot of the histrionics from PWG. Uh, the night got better, although not for Chuck Taylor and Trent, because earlier in the day, their truck, their mom's van was vandalized by Proud and Powerful, much to the best friend's dismay. They took them on later in the match. It was an okay match. Trent took his vengeance out on Santana and Ortiz for disrespecting and damaging his mom's van, but in the end, Trent finished uh, Santana off the top rope. I'm sorry. Uh, Chuck knocked Santana off the top rope, and Trent rolled through and pinned Ortiz for the victory. Next up, MJF was in his campaign war room to dictate orders and make sure the campaign against the Dictator John was going smoothly. Poor Lee, MJF abused poor Lee for having the poster on the wall, not plum square. And then he yelled at his secretary to keep smiling and just sit in the corner and smile, honey. Hilarious stuff. Old school, heel stuff at its best. This was the scary part. So Matt Hardy comes out to cut a promo about he wanted to come where, where he really felt respected. He wanted to come to a place to finish his career where the promotion was listening to the fans. He starts talking about how Matt Hardy himself, despite what other promotions have said to him or what he's been able to do in his career, has been able to be the own man. He's been his own man. He's defined his character however he wanted to and blah, blah, blah. You know, how he gives back, how he's mentoring Private Party, and apparently he reached out to Sammy Guevara, but Sammy Guevara rejected him and joined Chris Jericho with the Inner Circle, so he's giving Sammy a word of advice. This time, he's not reaching out to assist him in his career. He's assigned reaching out, quote, that he desires to hurt Sammy Guevara. Sammy comes out to confront Matt Hardy. They brawl for a while. Then the furniture gets set up. There was a chair that was inadvertent. Uh, Sammy was getting a little high through the chair, a little too hard at Matt Hardy, and inadvertently busted Matt Hardy open up pretty badly. And later on, we found out that Matt Hardy had to require like 15 stitches to close it up. But he's not dead, so. So there you go. By the way, the chair was not purposeful. The chair was accidental. We found out later and that Sammy Guevara just threw it too hard. So apparently Sammy Guevara suffered a huge hawking too after that segment on being safe and blah, blah, blah. But Matt Hardy seems to be okay. We also saw a little bit of a segment where not only did Proud and Powerful not accept that they lost to best friends earlier in the night, but they went a step further with Sue's minivan by destroying it with a sledgehammer. Hammer, so there you go for that. The best friends feud with Proud and Powerful is not over, not by Next, we saw a tag that carried over from the week before where the in-ring AEW debut of Matt Cardona and dare I say the complete and utter debut of Matt Cardona, not the former Zack Ryder. I don't think he's ever wrestled as Matt Cardona. Please let me know in the comments if he has. Yeah, the Nightmare Cody took on number, what, three and four, John Silver and Alex Reynolds 
Worlds of the Dark Order. It was a match actually pretty good. Matt Cardona proved that he was athletic, or not proved, but at least he got to showcase his athleticism, which is something that we haven't seen in a long time. Cody's continuing to channel old school wrestling by echoing Buzz Sawyer's famous scoop slam. Matt Cardona comes in, hits a missile drop kick. He's coming in, puts Reynolds in a sit-out powerbomb. Cardona is now calling his move the radio silence, and he finished off Silver with radio silence for the victory. So as they're walking back, the significant thing was Scorpio Sky confronted Cody as Scorpio Sky was on his way out to the ring. Cody was on his way back to the locker room. And if you know from AEW Dark, Scorpio Sky cut a pretty blistering promo about potential and being a king and being the guy everyone talks about as being the best athlete in AEW and it's time to show it, et cetera, et cetera. So Scorpio Sky takes it upon himself to challenge Cody for the ENT championship. Let's see how that went. We come back to see our best friends obviously fuming that uh, uh, the Trent's mom's van was total. Move into the Super Tuesday debate. And shockingly enough, it was controversy creates cash. That's right. Eric Bischoff right there to moderate this debate between Orange Cassidy and Chris Jericho. So Eric Bischoff is back on TNT and Bischoff said that he would debate or he would monitor the debate giving five questions picked at random to each wrestler. Neither two have seen the question. So basically Bischoff sets up the debate between the two. Jericho was all dressed up in a business suit because he was ready to do the debate while Orange Cassidy was, you know, Orange Cassidy. Every time Orange had a question, Jericho said he doesn't talk. Because he doesn't talk, Eric. He's got nothing to say. Hilarious. You know, Bischoff asked quite random questions like about environment or whatever. Cassidy ripped off this huge response to the rising sea levels and it was masterful and brilliant hilarity. Jericho had words to say about how he's just a joke and Cassidy is what's wrong with professional wrestling, which is what a lot of people are saying. And that he's just basically a fan, got into the wrestling business. He's in fact Jericho even said he's the epitome of every smart Mark fan watching at home. And he demanded seven thousand dollars to replace his jacket. Eric Bischoff then declares Orange Cassidy the winner of the debate by virtue of his global warming answer to which Jericho had Jake Hager attack Cassidy and the best friends came out to check on him. Pretty funny. It was better than I thought it was going to be. I was really worried about a crap show, especially Bischoff not being on national television. More proof that there's still money marks out there that are just waiting to take a paycheck from Tony Khan. So I don't know. The more money Tony Khan blows on AEW, there's always going to be some personality out there who's going to take it. Who knows? Maybe when Vince officially fires Bruce Pritchard again in two years because the ratings are going back down that Bruce Pritchard will take a job with Tony Khan. Maybe he'll come out as brother hates or something like that. I don't know. But anyway, at least the segment was entertaining and Bischoff didn't try to bogart the entire session. He did what he had to do, which was help put Cassidy over and uh, continue the feud between him and Jericho. So good. Shocking to no one as I predicted, Britt Baker came out in a wheelchair to talk about her injuries and talk about who she would choose to take on Big Swole. And surprise to no one it was rebel slash reba like it was a little match it was kind of an extended squash obviously because reba slash rebel hasn't been ring active for a while but at least she put on a big show and it did did good job big swole ended up getting the victory with the dirty dancer this one was as i expected super great so it was finally time for alan versus mox mox 
immediately just walked right up to Darby, ripped the mask off. Alan was wearing a weird Moxley face mask. I don't know where he got it from. Probably from the WWEshop.com, something like that on the bargain bin. They went at it. They went at it like they hated each other for years. And, you know, this is one of those instances where similar personalities end up working. And these guys, like, beat the crap out of each other. Uh, Mox just about clotheslined Darby's head off. And, of course, Taz was digging it. Match just went, just as you would expect, kind of a glorified CZW, just beat the crap out of each other match. At some point, Moxley put Darby in STF, but Darby uh, didn't get out of it. Matter of fact, gave him the double bird, the double Stone Cold salute, as it were. And since everybody's comparing John Moxley to a wannabe Stone Cold Steve Austin, why not? You know, Moxley has said something weird to Darby about when I tell you to tap, you tap, as if kind of allude to them having kind of a mentor-mentee relationship. At some point, Darby hit the pretty good code red on Mox. That didn't work. They went outside and brawled. And again, another unsafe but I don't know if, again, planned or not with Moxley, but Darby Allen did a coffin drop, and after uh, the coffee drop, I'm sorry, not after the coffin drop, but right before the coffin drop, MJF tried to intervene, hit Moxley with a belt, right happened right before the coffin drop, boom, Mox gets up and his head is split open, uh, MJF trying to steer the title kind of away from Mox, or at least get into Dictator John's head, it didn't work, because in the end, not only did Mox get Darby Allen in the paradigm shift, but after the one, two, three, Moxley and Darby Allen got up and hugged it out, cheered each other, much to the furious dismay of MJF, who in the back was just livid, tearing things up that his plan had gone sideways. So interesting match between the two of them. It was great. It was fun. It was hard hitting. It was everything you would expect. You knew the kind of match you were getting between the two of those guys. It worked. It's also furthering the Dictator John angle with MJF and MJF for president of AEW, MJF for next champion. And I kind of like where it's going. So I will say overall, a much better show than it has been in the past. And if nothing else, if they're just going to continue to grab former WWE stars and try to say, hey, we have them here. You know, the one thing that they're doing well is they've set up two of their bigger angles. And I dig it. So we've got Moxley versus MJF to look forward to, which also frustrates me because I don't think they were serious about Brian Cage. They just wanted Brian Cage because they're out of mid-card heel and eventually maybe Cage and Wardlow will get together or something like that. But they're not interested in Cage. They just wanted to get him off of WWE's radar, even though I don't think he was ever really on WWE's radar. And as far as the other big names that they have on the card, they have their angle set up nicely. So I will say overall, AEW redeemed themselves with a much better show than in weeks past. All right. Just like I predicted, Britt Baker feeding Reba slash Rebel to Big Swole. I also predicted that Pat Mack whose claim to fame was being a kicker on a championship football team, NFL team, and getting drunk and swimming in a canal. We all got worked. The whole thing was a work, and they shot themselves into a work, and we were worked into the shoot, brothers and sisters. As I predicted, Pat McAfee has worked his way into at least getting into the ring with Adam Cole. We're not saying he is a full-time WWE wrestler, but we are saying that at NXT TakeOver, 30 or triple X, whatever you want to call it, they will definitely have a match. Team. I uh, 
I'm not a fan of this for the biggest reason is this is just another way to drum up interest in the product. This is just another way to get more exposure on ESPN and whatnot. There is nothing that leads me to believe that Pat Mack could be a professional wrestler. And yet, not only is he being a professional wrestler, but he's also, interestingly enough, being a heel. So again, is this the continuation of the Undisputed Era actually becoming a face section right now? When you think about it, there's really no one else around and they really haven't had a face run. I mean, all three of them, when they came in individually, Roddy was already there. So Adam Cole was the last one to officially sign. But uh, Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish were in the WWE for a couple of weeks as singles competition before they officially formed the UE. So I don't know. They haven't been faces since they all came to NXT, really. Well, Adam Cole hadn't been a face. Adam Cole was a heel all the way through. So when they formed the group, they had not been faces since they came. And with Roddy showing his range at the eight against Dexter Loomis and the whole trunk situation and with Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish going after Imperium and actually Adam Cole, Bebe, looking kind of chumpish against Pat McAfee. Kind of, I think they're gaslighting us into Undisputed Era being a babyface faction or at least a less of a heel faction, more of a, twi- uh, more of a tweener faction. So we will see. Uh, the rest of the show was pretty good. I feel badly for Shane Thorne there. I don't know why. He's still in WWE. I would probably, if I were him, be like Nick Miller and just say, you know what? Screw this. I can go back to uh, wrestle in Australia for Melbourne or for WWE. I don't need this. But he's still in WWE making a paycheck. Who knows? I thought that Thorne and Vink were going to become a thing. It looked like they showed some promise on Raw. I think they like Vink a lot more. If they make Vink this weird kind of gooberish party guy, he might work. But other than that, I don't know. Anyway, back off track. There was the match between Lorcan and Damian Priest and Ridge Holland, who they're trying to make a thing for the North American title. Now, I don't know how long they've been trying to make Ridge Holland a thing. I know it's been kind of back and forth. If it was possible to be clumsy and athletic at the same time, Ridge Holland, I hope he kind of finally puts it all together. They must think that maybe he's as ready as he's ever going to be. So they put him together with this match and he didn't do too much, but he did just enough. Of course, Oni Lorcan's going to make anybody look good. The wrestle of the broomstick and make it look good. And I want to continue to see Oni Lorcan as being used by NXT. Again, it's a shame that he and Birch have not been given any more legit tag shots or at least a tag program with Imperium. I think that would have been really cool to see that. And I'm hopefully looking forward to having it happen again down the line. But since they're about to turn UE into a babyface faction anyway, it'll be hard for them, especially if UE is going to win it back from Imperium at NXT TakeOver 30. The Keith Lee brutalization of Cameron Grimes was pretty intense. And uh, I think we're seeing the beach. I can't even talk right now. The beach being unleashed as you see Karrion Cross looking out to Keith Lee, telling him again, TikTok, again, berating him for leaving his friend in the middle of the ring, saying it's only a matter of time before they get together. Karrion Cross stressing that he doesn't really care about belts. He just wants Keith Lee. So there we go. Leandro de Fantasma come out. By the way, again, who knew that Santos Escobar was amazing on the mic? It seems as though Escobar is very fluent in two languages, highly intelligent and cut a pretty good promo. And I keep just digging the fact that those guys keep talking about how the WWE fans disrespect the glory, the art of what Lucha Libre actually is. So I really dig that a whole lot. I think that they're onto something and talked about how 
Rizongo interfered for the last time in their affairs and how, you know, they're going to show them that Lucha Libre is not a joke. Well, Joaquin Wilde and Raul Mendoza drag a lifeless Fandango from the back. Tyler Breeze came out and tried to make the save, but he was unsuccessful and they both got a beat down in the process. I was kind of hoping for Drake Maverick to come out. I don't know what his contract states or even if Drake is a country anymore. I'm sure he's probably not allowed to travel ban, but I wonder where he is and what they did with that contract. I would again like to see Drake come back out. I'd like to see a three-man tag between these guys and I certainly would like to see Drake Maverick fill his destiny and become again the WWE Cruiserweight Champion, but I will tell and we will see. Excuse me. And of course, let's just get to it then. Let's get to it because I don't know. I just, you know, so at the end of the match or at the end of the night, Undisputed Era takes on Imperium for the WWE NXT Tag Championship belt. And may I say that still was a fantastic match. I don't know why they felt like they still had to continue the feud while it was going on. That's the most annoying thing to me. The fact that they continue the story while the other story is going on. I mean, at least with AEW, they interwove it into the match. But what's so distracting, it, it, it feels like that when you have one of these segments where there's something going on on the side, you're distracting from what's going on in the ring. And it seemed like even though UE and Imperium were putting on a great match that I was more worried about Pat McAfee versus Adam Cole. And of course, Pat McAfee's out there offering his insight, his awful insight. And poor Tom Phillips is out there trying to keep order. Somehow, Pat twisted from, I made an apology, I apologized. It was water under the bridge to, this guy thinks he's something that he's not. And he doesn't like getting called out. So that developed somehow it caused the distraction, caused Imperium to get the victory over UE, and UE walked out without belts and basically Adam Cole turned around and started blaming Pat McAfee for uh, UE losing the belts, losing the match. He said it was all your fault, etc, etc. Pat McAfee fires back, blah, blah, blah. They get in each other's faces. They talk a bunch of garbage and then it happens. They come to a showing match where Pat McAfee was escorted out or was on his way out. He doubles back and he basically says to Adam Cole, you're never going to be anything but an insignificant short little man. Cole goes nuts, goes after him. He gets caught on the table. As he gets caught on the table, Pat McAfee winds up and basically puts Adam Cole in the ribs, causing Triple H to shove Pat McAfee twice and totally eject him out of the building. And Triple H got on social media and he immediately announced that Pat McAfee and Adam Cole will settle things in the ring at NXT 30. So, I mean, that's what they want to do. That's what they want to drum up interest with. I'm sure there's a lot of pressure with ESPN and Fox to make this a thing, especially as Pat McAfee is still kind of connected to sports world as a sports journalist. So we shall see. Again, not happy that it took away from the match itself, but at least at least we have some kind of buzz going to NXT 30. Definite buzz on SmackDown. I did catch SmackDown this week. And I've been kind of paying attention on the side. I actually didn't intentionally make time to watch SmackDown. It just kind of happened. Uh, and what I saw was was fun. Uh, it was interesting. And so with Raw, and we'll get to Raw later. I'm kind of going backwards. But so with Raw, we saw more of this faction that we think we know as Retribution. And there are some rumors as to who may or may not be involved with Retribution. We'll talk about that in a little while. So the match, the whole night actually, 
actually started off first with the Firefly Funhouse and how stable Bray Wyatt, Funhouse Bray Wyatt, was warning Braun Strowman that it wasn't Fee who wanted something that you had, it was the Fiend, and that you brought the Fiend out, and when the Fiend wants, he gets. They also showed the vignette of him talking to Alexa Bliss, or freaking her out, capturing her. So the match, or the sorry, the promo was centered over Bray Wyatt saying whatever the Fiend wants, he gets, and the Fiend is going to use whoever he can to get to Braun Strowman, which was an allusion to getting to Alexa Bliss, which is kind of what happened. The next match, so we have the vignette with Matt Riddle and King Corbin in the back, you know, basically watch out, you're going to get what you deserve, that kind of thing. Matt Riddle then takes on Sheamus, and Matt Riddle won by disqualification because of all people, Shorty G, who King Corbin had uh, talked about the King's Ransom with the week previous, came out and tried to collect again on the King's Ransom. Well, he attacked Riddle from outside of the ring, which caused Riddle to win the match by disqualification, and Sheamus wasn't very happy, and he did confront Corbin back about it. The next, which was kind of a disappointment for me because I really thought, again, they're trying to put Lucha House Party up into the next level, which is what they should be doing. They should be finding these guys that are around now. This is the perfect opportunity to find out whether or not the guys that you've signed can take it to the next level. I really feel like Lucha House Party is the next tag team. They've been there too long. It's their time to shine. They're due. I understand that Kalisto left for that very reason, but maybe since Lindsay and Grand Metalik are still around, that the both of them can do something and hopefully they can do something with them. Well, we saw Cesaro versus Lindsay Dorado and Cesaro is a lot like Steven Regal slash William Regal. He's the guy they trust to work with the luchadors because he's athletic enough to do so. And I've seen Cesaro work with plenty of luchadors and plenty of smaller wrestlers. So this didn't really grab me per se, but still, uh, it was a fun match. And in the end, Cesaro won with a neutralizer and went back to the Champions Lounge to celebrate. But I really hope they do build up maybe next week, Grand Metalik. Maybe Grand Metalik can take on Shin. Maybe Shin can lose to Grand Metalik. Maybe that'll prompt Cesaro to go and stomp Grand Metalik in the ring and then Lindsay come in for the save. I would really like to see a match between Lucha House Party and the artists at SummerSlam. Please put this together. I really hope this is going together. Like So, the next match we see Jeff Hardy and King Corbin, which is a continuation of what was happening earlier with Sheamus and Matt Riddle. So, you know, Jeff Hardy is out here and hopefully he's passed all of this crappy alcoholic angles that they've been putting past the uh, past couple of months with Sheamus. Hopefully he's moving on to that. He had recently started a beef with King Corbin, so they were going to fight. Well, to get back at his loss against Matt Riddle, Sheamus came down to the ring at some point and kicked Jeff Hardy in the gut, causing Jeff Hardy to win. And of course, King Corbin took umbrage with that, confronted Sheamus, which led to a match between Sheamus and King Corbin. So bravo for both big men to go double duty. I know it's hard to go double duty, especially in a hot, stuffy performance center, and you're both big men. Big guys don't usually go long, but they did remark about Sheamus has really worked on his cardio as of late, and of course, for all his faults, King Corbin is a very good athlete. So, they gave us a pretty hard-hitting match. It was entertaining. Didn't light the room on fire, but if this is going to be a feud between the two of them, I'll take it. Uh, Matt Riddle got a little bit of revenge himself by distracting King Corbin, which then caused Sheamus to hit the brogue kick and get the victory. So, a little bit of interweaving of guys. Hey, you did this to me, this to me. Of course, this is going to lead because the WWE likes to do this with multiple man tags and, and whatnot, and that'll lead us up to some things going on at SummerSlam, probably 
even a triple threat between Matt Riddle, Corbin, and Sheamus. Interestingly enough, the announcers, especially Michael Cole, kept talking about how Matt Riddle does seem to rub people the wrong way. He does seem to go on his own in the locker room, and, and he, Matt Riddle's a hard pill to swallow. So I don't know where they're going with that. I know that they're alluding to the Goldberg thing, Jericho thing, and all that kind of stuff. All the other wrestlers that Matt Riddle has kind of rubbed the wrong way in the past. I don't know if they're going to use that or not, but it seems like they might start to. So if Matt Riddle stays a fan favorite, he'll be a baby face. He might even venture into tweener side because you might get sick of his attitude or he might rub enough people the wrong way that people both baby faces and heels hate him. So who knows? But that's where we're going with this. And I will probably look forward to a triple threat match of some sort at SummerSlam. Next match, Heavy Machinery versus Morrison and The Miz. Uh, ended in a no contest because of multiple interference from different people, which is an allusion to what I'm about to get to. But um, Heavy Machinery had had enough of them attacking Mandy Rose. They had this little corny segment with Mandy Rose's hair. And then, of course, Sonya Deville came out. And by the way, Sonya Deville was killing it on the mic during this section. They should have just let her go, which they kind of did while she was sitting there. She's gotten so much better in her promos. They're coming from, it sounds like they're coming from the heart, which is what they want, right? WWE wants the wrestlers to live in the square and go from the heart. I still don't think that the two of them really hate each other. I still think that they're probably friends. I mean, you know, obviously they are are, they feel strongly towards each other. This is all just for a show. That being said, if those are real hostile feelings towards each other, I'm sure they probably work things out. At least I would hope they would if they continue their friendship. Well, anyway, so after that happens, Heavy Machinery had enough and they came out. They attacked Fizz and Morrison and a match was immediately booked between the two teams with DeVille being out there. DeVille didn't cause a bunch of distraction, but she caused up. She interfered a little bit in the match until from out of no where Mandy Rose shows up with a brand new haircut. Mandy Rose goes straight for Sonya Deville and they beef and they scrap and blah, 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 blah. Heavy machinery would keep going until boom, the lights go off. And as the lights go off, this group calling themselves Retribution, which is basically Antifa wrestlers, coming in and destroying the ring with spray paint, with baseball bats, intimidating the crowd. Uh, at some point, all the wrestlers left. Michael Cole and Corey Graves left at ringside. All of the WWE Performance Center trainees left the ringside except for one poor girl. I think uh, Catalina, the one masked luchadora was there. She was caught. They messed with her for a while. They really didn't do anything to her. They just kind of slapped her around a bit. She was able to escape. Then Antifa wrestlers get into the ring. They decide to vandalize the ring and say this is our place now. One of them even spray painted one of those not WWE signs on one of the plexiglass and they took over triumphantly rejoicing by cutting the ring ropes and having their baseball bats and led pipe and what so far be it from Vince McMahon to let an opportunity to spoof or paradise current events go to the wayside. But you see Retribution ending the show. I was surprised because, again, I had not been paying much attention to SmackDown lately. So for me to see this SmackDown to the first real one that I watched in a while um, top to bottom was, was pretty good getting back to what Vince McMahon used to do with the Attitude Era. And I know that's overplayed. The Attitude Era is overblown. Trust me. I'm not one of those ones that sits here every day and says, gosh, if they only went back to the Attitude Era, everything would be great. No. 
personally, when something's in the past, it's in the past. There's a difference between recycling good tropes like retribution. And I know some people were making the comments about this is just Nexus 2.0. Yeah, we get it. But to recycle something like retribution to cause chaos in the WWE, but do it in a, a kind of a refreshed way is I dig it. Let's see where it goes before I get totally into it. The rest of SmackDown was pretty good. So I'll have to say that I was pleased for not having to see SmackDown in a long time. Excuse me. Uh, Sinus is really going crazy right now. I was happy with the turnout and I was happy with uh, the results. And I think this is definitely going to help Fox be more confident in the product going forward because I know that they have been, they've been worried about the ratings drop. So anytime there's a ratings drop, boom, something like this happens. Uh, I know there's a lot of speculation, including Chris Brown again, chiming in saying that it could be almost anybody right now. They are throwing in guys. They are throwing in random performance center wrestlers until they find out who's actually going to be involved with Retribution. I know someone tried to say earlier in the week that one of the members of Retribution was really tall and in fact was Dominic Dijakovic, although I doubt that. Even if it was, first of all, they have some really tall ninjas back there. But second of all, the fact that even if it was Dominic Dijakovic, this thing's going to be fluid until they figure out either any recently signed indie people or some people that they could credibly give the spot to of Retribution. Who knows? I mean, this might be a long shot, but it could be Heath Slater. It could be a number of people. It could be Sarah Logan coming back. You know, there was a female Retribution member. Even though this one had long curly hair, it could be Sarah Logan coming back. It could be any number of the recently released WWE superstars that come back and form this Retribution. So uh, we're kind of coming up against it here, but let's briefly get in Raw and see uh, what went on there. Raw was funny, was again, better than last week, and, but some parts kind of dumb too, like this one you see right here with Nia Jax having to apologize personally to Pat Buck. Like, what did what did Pat ever do to deserve all this ignominy? Ignominy. I don't know how to pronounce it. I've heard it pronounced either way, but you can look it up, people, on your own time. I G N O M I T Y ignominy or ignominy, whatever you want to call it. The word means disgrace or utter sadness and embarrassment. So there we go. I don't know what Pat Buck did to deserve this, but he's still there to receive an apology. Actually, he said in the ring, Nia Jax, I was brought out here to receive an apology from you. So you are hereby suspended indefinitely without pay. And Nia Jax went absolutely crazy when she found out that information. I think she continued to put her hands on Pat Buck, and now she is gone. So who knows where she is? Maybe she's gone back to Instagram to work on some of her uh, swimsuit modeling pictures that were fired the other day. Who knows? All we know is that she has been indefinitely suspended. I'm sure they're probably going to work something to where there's an unsanctioned match, maybe an underground match. We'll get to underground in a minute. Maybe there's going to be an underground match between her and Shayna Baszler. Maybe if Nia Jax beats Shayna Baszler, she can be reinstated. Who knows? That's what I would do. Then again, I'm not calling the shop. We start out the night with the unification match between the... U.S. champions, Apollo Crew versus the Fakewood MVP. I uh, enjoyed the match quite a bit. Super athletic, uh, a lot of fun. Finally, some of these old veterans are getting what they deserve, which is recognition for the job that they've done. 
no pun intended. Throughout the match, they alluded to retribution with more of the damage, like the lights flickering on and off. In the end, Cruz pinned MVP with the toss powerbomb and got both belts back. Cruz said that he dedicated the match to his family, so he's going to take the belt and hang it over his children's beds to remind them that their dad is U.S. champion, but he was going to take the MVP-style U.S. champion belt and use that. So if nothing else, it was just an extended way to get rid of the old U.S. championship belt and introduce the new one. And you can tell me on Heel and Face Facebook page whether or not you like it. I'm not a fan of it. I actually like the old belt, but again, I'm more of a traditionalist. So next, interesting segment. Kevin Owens, who seems like he's turning over a new leaf, is now trying to play Peacemaker. He came out and he brought out Ruby Riot to the KO show to interview her on her recent comeback, her struggles from injury and her struggles from her relationships that she formed with her friends in WWE. And she mentioned, of course, Liv Morgan specifically and how heartbroken she was that Sarah's no longer there. By the way, there were a lot of references to Sarah Logan. I don't know if they're gaslighting us for a possible return or not. I know looking at Sarah Logan's Instagram, she seems quite happy. She's out shooting guns and she's training to be an MMA fighter now. So um, she said in her comments, she's not going to let the world dictate her what she's going to do. She's going to dictate what she's going to do. And since she got into pro wrestling at such an early age, she hasn't been able to really live and experience a lot of things. So she's training as an MMA star, and she's doing her thing. And so I don't think she's that eager to get back into a wrestling ring anytime soon. Again, what is she, 23, 24 years old? Good for her. But uh, it was curious to hear all of them mentioned, especially from Ruby Riot. Extended apology. Nobody really said, I'm sorry, although you could see Liv Morgan start to cry. I think this is more of the WWE management writing team speaking through Ruby Riot, kind of to apologize to everybody, really. Not just to Liv Morgan for that stupid angle she had with Rusev and Bobby Lashley and Lana. Not only to apologize for that, but to probably just apologize how they've been misusing the Riot Squad in general. So Ruby had an emotional moment. Liv Morgan started to cry, had an emotional moment on the Kevin Owens show. And as they were about right there, about to apologize and patch things together, the Iconics make it to the ring. And of course, read the Riot Act, the Riot Act, pun intended, which led to them coming into the ring of the Kevin Owens show, Peyton getting a big slap into Kevin Owens, Kevin turning to Ruby, her his friend, and say, could you guys help me out here? And then, boom, the Riot Squad back together, beating up the Iconic. I'm all for this because this is a way to reestablish the Riot Squad as a tag team. Again, like I said earlier, this is the time the WWE needs to start taking advantage of bringing some of these acts, some of these wrestlers they signed along. And if they want more female tag teams together, they need to see if the Riot Squad can go and guess what? They did, and they beat the Iconics in a really good match. So hopefully this is a way for the Riot Squad to kind of move up closer to attaining the Women's Tag Team Championship. Drew McIntyre and Randy Orton 
had a confrontation. Oh, by the way, before this, so in the back, KO was apologizing for the Iconics interrupting, but he congratulated them on their match. For some reason or another, Ric Flair came over and tried to give Kevin Owens some advice about instead of trying to help other people, maybe he should help himself. Kevin Owens is trying to say again he's taking a new tack. He's turning over a new leaf. Instead of stepping on people to get where he wanted in professional wrestling, he's trying to mentor people not to say, make the same mistakes he did by stepping on friendships in the past. And maybe if Randy Orton had a problem with it, he could beat him next week on Raw. That's going to be a dope match anyway. So there was a confrontation. Drew McIntyre left RKO with, unlike an RKO, Orton's going to see Drew McIntyre coming. So I can't wait for that. We have Akira Tozawa sneaking in and winning the 24-7 championship against R-Truth and Shelton Benjamin, who is on fire, by the way. Shelton Benjamin probably looks the best that he has his entire career. There were ninjas involved, as you know, blah, blah. Again, with the backdrop of the lights flickering on and off and things going haywire, this match went off without a hitch. In a backstage segment, MVP complained that he lost the belt and that Shelton Benjamin lost the belt. And the three of them, with Bobby Lashley, are going to really start making an impact with the Hurt Business on Raw. We'll find out. Meanwhile, what we've been teased about the entire week was that Shane O'Mac was back to bring an innovative new segment to Monday Night Raw entitled Raw Underground. And if you noticed, if you're a wrestling fan, you noticed how very similar that looked to a lot of other promotions in the world of professional wrestling. Like, oh, I don't know, Zero One and Noah, Josh Barnett's Bloodsport. As a matter of fact, Matt Riddle even took to Twitter and remarked how eerily similar Raw Underground looked to Bloodsport. Raw Underground was a way to showcase a darker, more edgier, more grittier side of Monday Night Raw, as you can tell. They are now setting up the ring like Bloodsport, no ropes, just the mat, just the padding, and then guys going at it. And now we finally found a way to integrate Baba Tunde into Raw as Davos Katos or Davos Katos or Davos Sweeney, or I don't know what his name is, but it's something like that who came in and wrecked everyone he fought and got some victories. So if nothing else, this is a way to finally figure out how they're going to use the big man and make him into a monster pro wrestler. So they're going to do it with Raw Underground, which I'm not sad at. Before we get to Raw Underground, let's come back to an interesting match. So the golden role models were walking around and talking about how bad they are and what's up for them and what's going to be and how they're going to run things. And of course, Shayna Baszler comes out to confront both women and both women were intimidated. Shayna Baszler came out and said she is tired of waiting line for championship opportunities and she went right after Sasha Banks. So the two of them went at it. Don title bout. Asuka attacked Bailey from behind and somehow the match was a no contest. Asuka challenged Sasha at SummerSlam but the only way she was going to get that chance is if Asuka beat Bailey next week on Raw. Meanwhile, there was kind of a stare down. I don't think Kata 
Baszler is intimidated by anybody, obviously, including Asuka. So we got that to look forward to. From last week, we got Angel Garza versus Angelo Dawkins in singles competition. Usually, again, when they do this, it's so wrestlers can't get a feel for each other before they have to fight each other as a tag. This is also a way to get two guys who aren't the main focus. I wouldn't think that Angelo Dawkins is carrying Street Profits anymore that Garza is carrying Garza and Andrade, but there we are. For some reason, The Bachelor Rets or The Bachelor... I don't even follow the show, so I don't even know who she is. I just know her name is Demi Burnett. She was at Raw randomly. I think they're just trying to pull away people from The Bachelor or The Bachelorette on ABC and pull them somehow into watching Raw because people who watch The Bachelor and The Bachelorette are also naturally going to watch Pro Wrestling. Whatever. I don't know. But anyway, she was there in the back to get a rose from Garza because they're still doing that. As Dawkins and Garza fought outside, Montez Ford was cheering him on, drinking from the Red Solo Cup, and for whatever reason, Montez Ford starts becoming ill. He starts getting woozy, collapses a ringside, which causes a distraction for Dawkins to find out what happened. As he was comforting Montez Ford, he comes back into the ring. Dawkins turns around and eats a super kick from Garza, and he gets rolled up for the win. But backstage, they go back into the trainers. The trainers determined that Montez Ford is suffering some type of poisoning from the cup that he drank. We see Bianca Belair go all mad queen wife saying if Zelina Vega had anything to do with this, she's going to wreck her. Zelina Vega said maybe you should worry about your husband and not worry about me. Blah, blah. Tempers flare. Boom, boom, boom. Even during the week, Bianca Belair pulled a uh, Vinnie Marsaglia from Ring of Honor and jumped Zelina Vega while Zelina Vega was streaming at her house. So a home invasion now. We're doing that. Bianca Belair and now Zelina Vega are probably going to fight each other and I'm not going to be sad at that. But yeah, I found out that Montez Ford is okay, but somehow some type of bad poison ended up. But Ford apparently was good enough to wrestle and he wrestled Andrade, which that match ended in a no contest. Well, we go back to Raw Underground and Eric of the Viking Raiders won because out of the two who could honestly survive a Bloodsport type match, I think Eric would probably do that in spades. So it's completely believable. So at least what they're doing with Raw Underground is they're making it somewhat believable. And Eric, the Viking Raider, probably found a niche for the two of them to do this for a while while things happen. Meanwhile, back outside, the reason why the lights were flickering and things are happening is that the group that we now know to be known as Retribution uh, attacked a Horus Center generator, causing things to be out, causing power shortages and whatnot. We don't know any much more about the group, but we know that they are targeting the WWE Performance Center. We saw Dominic Mysterio attack and get retribution on the Monday Night Messiah. Seth Rollins, I thought that was really interesting. And Murphy, by the way. So this was kind of a cool little back and forth between the two guys. Seth Rollins came out and he didn't attack Dominic. He did attack Tom Phillips, who had been very critical of the Monday Night Messiah for a long time now. Tom Phillips was the victim and he was going to have Murphy attack Tom Phillips. Phil Samoa Joe stuck up for Tom Phillips. So 
Samoa Joe basically said, if you want to do this, you lay a finger on Tom Phillips and I am going to take the both of you out. Are we getting closer to Joe being good enough to get back in the ring? Please say yes. Give me Samoa Joe versus anybody. Give me Samoa Joe versus Seth Rollins, please. As that was happening and Dominic came up swinging with another kendo stick and wrecked Joe, or sorry, wrecked Murphy and the Monday Night Messiah. Dominic issues a challenge to Seth Rollins at SummerSlam and Seth Rollins accepts. That's going to be a great match. That's going to be a better than you think match. I'm not saying it's going to steal the show at SummerSlam. I think it's going to be much better than you think. And it'll be Dominic's first appearance at SummerSlam in what, 15 years? So there we go. We ended the night with a hurt business crashing Raw Underground like they threatened to do. All three men took care of their opponents and then got redressed Natalie up and basically said that they are going to take over and ended the night with the hurt business is here and business is boom. So I'm excited. Look forward to that. Out of all three of those guys, any one of them are legit shoot fighters anyway. Maybe this is something to kind of help them recover. We know that Bobby Lashley is frustrated with what's going on with his character. They're distancing themselves from the whole mistake Lashley Lana thing. Thank God. Sheldon Benjamin's finally getting kind of what he deserves, which is a really decent push. Even MVP showed some great athleticism in his uh, black belt in jujitsu is really paying off. As a matter of fact, after the show, MVP celebrated by inking a five-year contract with WWE. They like what he's doing so much. They like what he's bringing to the table so much that the Hurt Business is going to be for a while. There were a lot of rumors that people wanted to see the WWE. Well, there were rumors that the WWE was looking for kind of a heel version of New Day, maybe kind of a foil for New Day, maybe even a reimagining of the nation. So if the Hurt Business could pull this off and, and play angry, I'm all for it. Well, Tyson Kidd has been working out heavily at the PC again. Interesting. There's a lot of interesting things that could come out of this. You know, Davey Boy Smith Jr. is kind of floating in the weeds now. He really can't do anything with MLW. He's not going back to Japan. And he has been on WWE programming lately with the bump and how his father was finally getting inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. So, I mean, if Tyson Kidd is looking good again, could we possibly see a return of Gary Smith, Davy Boy Smith Jr., whatever he wants to be called now? Who knows? I don't want to see him leave MLW necessarily, but he need a job. Eddie Kingston went to AEW because NWA shut down temporarily, so why not? We'll see. Okay, well, I just wanted to say that on top of everything else that I have been up to uh, watching wrestling, I told you guys that I would be looking out at other avenues and not just WWE or AEW. So I've been checking out some matches and I'm going to have more of a in-depth report about this promotion. going to surprise you, but there is a promotion in the Far East in Taiwan, I believe, called Middle Kingdom. I'm going to do more investigation to them, but I'll have a better report for you next week. But they've been campaigning pretty hard on Facebook and their promotion that has been to Nepal, they've been to Taiwan, they've been different places around the eastern and southeastern Asian area that they can go to. And they're a promotion that really has a lot of interesting things going on. I watched a couple of matches. I watched a match with uh, Zeta Zhang. If you remember, she was in the Mae Young Classic, had a couple of tryout matches with WWE. Saw her in a match recently in Middle Kingdom Wrestling. And I'm going to be taking a look at this a little more in depth and I'll have more of a better 
idea of what's going on with that promotion the more matches that I watch. So stay tuned for that next week. And who knows, I might even see if I can link up with those guys and possibly even start telling you more about them. They're really interested in trying to get to a global audience. And I know I have a humble beginning right here at the Heel and Face podcast. But if I start growing and, you know, the word gets spread out, maybe I could also help Middle Kingdom Wrestling get their word spread out as well. That, that's what we're all about here. We're all about appreciating the world of professional wrestling, not just the big two, not just the local independence, but the global phenomenon that is the world of professional wrestling. As I just flashed, you get with us on all of our social medias at Dealter. I did it right the first time. You get all of our social medias at HT Wrestling 316, HT Wrestling 316 on Twitter and Facebook. And you could also follow the rest of our shows, The Sleeper Hold, Billy Alexander, Headlocks and Hangovers, and of course, a Heel and Face podcast at Heel and Face Pod on Twitter. You could do that now. And you could also catch me here every Sunday live at 2 o'clock. Hey, thanks for joining me, everybody. Uh, it was a fun show. Got to talk about a lot, went over a little bit, but that's all right. You could catch the audio version again if you're not interested in watching it live for some reason, if you have to catch this at work, or if you caught part of it but didn't catch the audio, don't fret, don't be sad, because I also put the audio of this podcast up on streaming platforms worldwide. Apple, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you can stream audio podcasts, I put it. So you can catch the Heel and Face podcast anywhere you... Thanks for joining me, guys. I appreciate every single one of you that was here, and you know, help me keep this thing growing, help me keep this thing going, and I will see you next week with more news and information from the world of professional wrestling. It's me, Big Stevie C, signing off. And as always, peace.